Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast powered by Jiffy Lube. He's JC Abbott. Justin Dunk is off today. And I'm John Hodge. Today, we are discussing Trivel Pinto's arrest, the Red Blacks plaid helmets, and Cliff Kingsbury admitting he set up Chris Streveler for failure in 2020. But first, JC, the CFL Board of Governors will vote on June 14th. That's this upcoming Monday on whether or not to proceed with the targeted 2021 season start date of August 5th. The CFL and CFLPA have ratified an amended CBA, and we're waiting to learn the exact details of this new agreement. Though the CFLPA said in a statement that it will, quote, make it possible for games to be played in 2021, end quote. As per Dan Barnes, a minimum of seven teams must vote in favor of the motion in order for the season to go ahead. It's been a whirlwind news day. I think overall an encouraging one for CFL fans. JC, what are your thoughts on the CFL 2021 season and the potential of football happening sooner rather than later? Well, I think it looks closer than it ever has before, Hodge, and and I'm very excited, but I'm also more nervous than I've ever been because the ball is entirely in the owner's court now. And we're really relying on all of these teams to step up to the challenge to take on the season. And one of the things we saw today was news come out that they've set a firm percentage of fans in the stands that they want to achieve to go forward. And that's 35%. In, In some places like Alberta, that's very achievable, but in other places, that doesn't look so good right now. So how firm are they on that percentage? And are the owners who won't be sure when this vote takes place, are they willing to make the leap of faith to make sure the season happens? Yeah, and I think the CFLPA was really smart, to be quite honest, to come out and say this today, make this announcement, say, hey, everybody, we've signed off on an amended CBA. And We should remind our listeners, the current CFL CBA that was ratified uh, two years ago 
is set to expire after 2021. So as of next year, there will be a brand new CBA. We don't know what it will look like, but there was already a CBA in place. The players agreed to amend it. Um, They were asked a few months ago to take a 20% pay cut. They said no. Uh, We don't know all the details, but, you know, the PA is making it loud and clear. Look, we're game to play. We have signed off. We've agreed we want to be on the field. And I think they're smart to make that very clear in public because if we don't get a season or the vote doesn't go in the way that fans want it to go, which is approval, then we'll have an exact answer for why that wasn't. And that'll be that the owners voted not to play in 2021, or at least the majority of the board of governors, or or I should say they, they weren't able to secure an over two thirds majority like they are, are seeking for approval to go ahead in 2021. Absolutely. It completely removes that typical tactic from the CFL to scapegoat another group, typically the players. They can't do that in this case. Now they've got to turn their attention to the government and you can you can sort of see them opening the door there. Well, it's it's not our fault if, if we can't get that 35%. But from a fan perspective, that's just not acceptable. We need to uh, to buck up or shut up as it were. Yeah, I think that's fair. And you know, the the at the end of the day, I, I think that, you know, it, it's encouraging Solomon Alamimi and the president of the CFLPA came out, mentioned today, okay, we've 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 agreed to this, we've done it, we we've made it make sense. Uh, his tweet on the matter, we're recording this, by the way, just after this information came out. I think his tweet has been up for maybe fifteen minutes. Um, you know, it's it's encouraging. Um, I am still very optimistic. Everybody who I've talked to seems to believe that the CFL season will go ahead. But Dan Barnes has an article on this that I think is 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 hitting the nail on the head, to be quite honest, where he says, you know, they need seven out of out, out of nine to vote yes to go ahead with the season. But what do you have like what happens if you get seven yays and two nays and then the two who you know, and I think everybody knows that will be Montreal and Toronto. The two who vote nay just say, "Okay, well, you know, screw you guys. We're not playing. Like we're we're not doing this. This is not something we're interested in. You guys can go ahead, but we're out." Um, that creates an interesting situation uh, that is frankly above my pay grade to figure out. That would be unprecedented. I'm not sure the legalities around that, but it would certainly be um, an extremely trying circumstance for the CFL to overcome. Hopefully it's unanimous. Um, I'm, I don't think it will be, but but that remains to be seen. We'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, hopefully the vote goes the correct way on Monday. Well, moving from some CFL optimism to some more disturbing news, uh, Calgary Stampeders receiver Travell Pinto was arrested this week alongside two former UBC teammates for an alleged sexual assault that took place in 2018. Hodge, did the CFL follow its domestic violence protocol? Yeah, I've got an article up this uh, or up on Three Down Nation about this. Um, I feel like they're, the CFL has established a bit of a double standard, unfortunately. And I'll, I'll say this. They followed the protocol correctly. Looking at it, it, it hasn't changed since it was established in 2015. Uh, the only thing that I think you could maybe call them on is there's a vague kind of area of the domestic violence policy where they claim that 
this is a quote when cfl work pardon me when any cfl workplace including a cfl football club or one of its corporate offices receives a report of violence against women involving a cfl employee we will act and that is the end of that point well the act that the calgary stampeders have taken thus far is issuing a short statement essentially just saying they're aware that this is going on um the cfl has not publicly commented on the matter um so as long as you consider that an act uh they've done it the issue that i have with it is that jerome messam in july of 2018 was charged with voyeurism and the saskatchewan rough riders immediately released him even though he was their starting running back at the time in a ratio breaking one at that he's a canadian player born in, in brampton ontario um so the cfl obviously did not make that decision that was the riders But then the CFL came out at the time and made a statement where Randy Ambrosi said that he would not register a contract for Messam if any other team attempted to sign him. Now, the charge from 2018 is supposed to go before the court. I believe it's been delayed in Messam's case due to COVID. It was supposed to actually happen last month, has not gone forward. So we don't know yet if he's going to be guilty, not guilty, whatever. Um, But the point is, this was a circumstance where a star player was cut and the league actually went as far for the charge of voyeurism to say, yeah, we're not registering a contract for him. Yet Pinto has been charged with sexual assault and he's still under contract with the Calgary Stampeders. Now, the policy does not state that a player has to be cut or suspended. So I don't have a problem with, 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 with Pinto remaining on the roster. I just think there's a big double standard here for the way that Messam was treated versus the way that Pinto was treated. Because if Pinto was was treated in accordance with the domestic violence policy, obviously Messam was not treated that way. Yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of a misnomer here. I, I wouldn't say it's a double standard because to me, a double standard implies preferential treatment. I don't think that's the case here. I think it's more inconsistency and incompetence. Uh, I think it's a lack of courage from the CFL, honestly, that they haven't taken similar actions with Pinto as they did with Messam. Now, obviously, nobody's been proven guilty in a court of law yet, but in my mind, a suspension should have been already issued by the Calgary Stampeders. We saw a, a similar, um, albeit different, criminal action take place this week with a player in Ottawa uh, in different circumstances, but a suspension was immediately issued by them despite no criminal charges filed. Uh, So to me, there is no excuse on the behalf of the Calgary Stampeders for not taking this action, particularly when you have a player where this incident took place in 2018 and If you as a club are saying you were unaware of it until now, that means the player lied to your face. He kept it hidden from you, which to me is a suspendable action in and of itself. That's a very good point. And I mean, and as you said, these are these are this is only a charge at this point. There has been no conviction as of yet. And and I think that it's important to treat anybody in this circumstance as innocent until proven guilty, just as the courts do. Um, However, I I agree at this point. um, You know, I think it you could certainly make an argument that Pinto should be suspended. But regardless, it bothers me that Messam for arguably a lesser charge. Uh, was was essentially blacklisted from the CFR. He was barred from the league, right? You can't, nobody could sign him. Uh, he's an impact player, I, I w- right? I, w- I would also add that the voyeurism charge is what got Messam barred from the league, but we must keep in mind as well, 
Messam has also been charged with sexual assault in 2020. There was that report as well. Now, this is after the league had yeah, already well, barred Yeah, well, two years after the fact. But clear, there's clearly a pattern of action there in, in Messam's case as well. F- fair enough. All I'm saying is... The, and and it's a good read if you, if you want to check out the domestic violence policy um, you know there were there were actually a lot of women's groups consulted who said actually we would prefer not to see people accused again not convicted but just people who are accused of violence against women or, or sexual assault to actually keep their jobs uh, or, or part they would like them to keep their jobs because that way if you're a you know somebody paying child support or, or things like that, Right. It's important to still have that livelihood, that source of income. If you're in a situation where your your former abuser, for you know, for example, gets fired from their job because you go to the police, well, all of a sudden now, like you're not getting childcare, you know, payments. That 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 could be a disaster uh, for somebody on the brink. So I, I I'm not saying, you know, the Stampeders did something wrong. Uh, if you feel they did, that's fine. I, I, to me, the and, and and I think that's a fair point. Maybe double standard isn't the best way to say. It. Just the inconsistency is what bothered me. Jerome Messam got barred from the CFL. Trivel Pinto has yet to even receive a slap on the wrist, and they essentially ha- are in the same boat. At least as of this time, they're people who have been charged mm-hmm. with crimes that should be taken seriously, but they've they've yet to be found guilty of anything because the criminal process has yet to take its full course. Anyways, we're way over time. We got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. JC, you mentioned this in the last segment. A CFL player was accused on social media of an alleged hate crime that took place in Toronto in which a 27-year-old member of the 2S LGBTQ plus community was targeted. The Ottawa Red Blacks and the CFL released statements condemning the alleged attack and reaffirmed their support of diversity, inclusion, and the 2S LGBTQ plus community. An Ottawa player, Chris Larson, has since been suspended. We will wait for the facts before casting judgment on this issue. But needless to say, this alleged behavior is not what the CFL was hoping to see during Pride Month. Absolutely not, Hodge. And and regardless of who actually committed this crime, because at this point, no charges have been filed, unlike in the Pinto situation. And certainly this has... This is nowhere close to going before the court, courts, but whoever committed this action, it's a despicable act. Uh, the CFL should condemn it in any rate, and especially when there is an implication against one of their players. Yeah, and I'll say this: I I don't want to get on a soapbox, but we we you know we we have our. Uh, our logo on all of our social media platforms uh, changed to the rainbow background behind our three, which is typically a red background. And I have seen some comments from people who are kind of bemoaning the whole Pride Month thing and saying like, oh, is it really necessary in 2021? Well, obviously, when when a member of this community is attacked horribly, and, and we'll spare the details on the podcast, but they're all over social media if you want to know what happened to this person. But a, a horrible, horrible act disgusting act as you said jc whoever committed it and we don't know who committed it at this point um we just know that one person has been accused on social media um obviously horrible disgusting and the the when these things happen and there was an attack on a muslim family this week as well in london ontario right this is why we we do these things this is why we use our platform uh we're not trying to shove an agenda down anybody's throat we're just trying to say hey this community is deserving of respect. Yes, they are still targeted by people who are hateful and violent. 
and and we're going to do whatever we can to support them, even if it's something as small as just changing our logo on social media. Yeah, and it's the right thing to do. And and the CFL, like many organizations, is, is still grappling with the ingrained homophobia that, that's so often pervasive in sports. I mean, this is the second Pride Month in a row where there has been some sort of incident involving the CFL. Obviously, last year it was just comments on Twitter by by Christian Jones, a, a player for Edmonton. Uh, this year it went a lot further, um, but all of these things have to be addressed in society. Moving on, Cliff Kingsbury, head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, was asked on the Ringers Flying Coach podcast this week about a time in which he made a really poor coaching decision. He brought up his play call in the final week of the 2020 regular season, during which Chris Strevler, Winnipeg Blue Bombers' former backup quarterback, threw a pick six, calling it, quote, an awful play call, end quote. Do you agree that Kingsbury made an awful decision? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It was, and I, I watched that whole game start to back. Uh, you've got a back, and remember, there was no preseason in the NFL in 2020. And Chris Streveler is not a guy who came up to the CFL after being in, you know, two, three, four NFL training camps or even seeing action. He came straight from college at South Dakota, came to the CFL, played two years, goes to his first NFL camp in Arizona, wins the backup job behind Kyler Murray. So you've got a guy who's never, never, never played in a preseason game, never been in a real NFL training camp other than the COVID camp that was in 2020. And also in the podcast, Cliff Kingsbury admitted that Streveler had never even practiced that package of plays that was called. And I'm not trying to make excuses for, for Chris Streveler. His numbers that game were poor, and there's no defending that. However, you know, asking Chris Streveler to stand in the pocket and throw the ball around the field the way that the Cardinals did in that game, it's like asking a fish to climb a tree. It, it's, it's an unbelievably <laughs> Poor use of a player's skill set. Like if Chris Streveler is is a Volkswagen bug, it would be like asking him to 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 you know using him to 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 ship you know lumber around a yard. Like like it's a complete, unbelievably irresponsible misuse of what this guy can do. He's an athletic quarterback. Get him on the run. Do some option stuff. Get your playmakers involved. Pound the ball. Because uh, if you if you're just going to ask him to stand in the pocket and be Peyton Manning, he's going to fail every time. And that's that's I guess partly a failure on his side from the skill set perspective. But if that's what you want him to do, go find yourself a different quarterback. If you want Chris Streveler, set him up for some success. Yeah, forget the pick six for a second. That was among the worst called games. I have seen in a long time. Uh, I was scratching my head the entire time as to how they were using Streveler. Uh, it almost seemed to me that Cliff Kingsbury spent all uh, training camp convincing everyone that this was a, a real pocket-passing quarterback, that he wasn't just a Taysom Hill gimmick, that he almost convinced himself and then tried to do it in live time and failed miserably. Yeah, when your priority is trying to look smart instead of winning football games, it's going to turn out badly every single time. Next up, JC, you've got a call out to our readers and listeners in response to a truth and reconciliation call to action for anyone with information about indigenous football players in our country to come forward. Please tell us about that. Well, I think the the horrifying uh, discoveries 
uh, at residential schools that that happened in, in Kamloops and and across the country. Really, I mean, this was no secret prior to the last couple weeks, but it seems to have shocked the country. Um, and everyone sort of grappled with what they can do going forward, and, and I grappled with that as well. So as an organization, we made a call to to take a step to address one of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's uh, 94 calls to action, uh, number 87 specifically, uh, which is a call upon all levels of government in collaboration with Aboriginal peoples, sports hall of fames, and other relevant organizations like us here at Three Down Nation to provide public education that tells the national story of Aboriginal athletes in history. And so I began the process of researching the history of Indigenous athletes in the CFL. And what I found, Hodge, was an absolute lack of recorded information. There's a a few more recent stories you can find from newspapers about more recent players. But as to uh, older players, specifically Canadian Indigenous players... I couldn't tell you who the first Indigenous player in the CFL was like I can tell you who the first Black player in the CFL was or who the first Chinese-Canadian player in the CFL was. There's just none of that information available at our fingertips. So in the effort to rectify that, I put out a call to information. If you have any uh, knowledge whatsoever about an Indigenous player from your community or that you've heard about that played in the CFL or or played Canadian football at some level, um, drop me a line on Twitter or I've set up a, a tip line email address, CanadianFootballTRC87 at gmail.com. Uh, and I'll do the research to confirm uh, the information you give me, and, and hopefully we can get some articles out uh, in the next couple of weeks beginning to tell the story of Aboriginal athletes in the CFL uh, so we can rectify this, uh, this absolute um, you know, mistake, historical mistake of not telling these, these stories. Oh, I think it's great. We, we've had some Indigenous players in the CFL um, you know, talk about these things to an extent. J.R. LaRose, longtime uh, BC Lions defensive back, comes to mind. Kelvin McCarty uh, would be another one uh, who's an Indigenous person, though not not Canadian, born in uh, Oklahoma. Uh, but still, I I think it's great, and you're you're fabulous at these projects. Um, I think it's a great uh, project, very worthwhile, and um, I'm hoping that we can uncover some some very intriguing information, and as you said, celebrate some of these stories. Absolutely. Now, there was another article that really piqued my interest this week as well from our guy, Santino Filoso. Uh, he conducted an interview with OSEG President Mark Gowdy this week in which he revealed the Red Blacks or why the Red Blacks never wore plaid helmets as part of their signature look back in 2014. What can you tell us about it, Hodge? Well, if you haven't read the article, you got to go to the article because we have some pictures that you're not going to find anywhere else on the internet of the only prototype helmet that was ever made with full plaid. And our read, our listeners might remember that uh, back in 2014, the CFL launched its signature look line, right? You had the watermelon helmets in Saskatchewan. Uh, some of the looks went over exceptionally well out in BC, the gunmetal uh, lions uh, jerseys went over like gangbusters there. Uh, Calgary still wears their, their black. I don't know what they're called, but they're, they're black, you know, with the faded helmet, um, some of them were great. Some of them sucked. Uh, Winnipeg's was was terrible. 
Um, they, they look more like Argos jerseys than Bombers jerseys. But um, <laughs> the Red Blacks, part of their look was supposed to be a plaid helmet. No logo on the side, just a pure plaid helmet, which would have been incredible. Uh, but unfortunately, the prototype, uh, they couldn't get it to work. Essentially, the story that Mark Gowdy told Filoso was, yeah, they, they needed to apply two separate decals and they just couldn't find a way to get the seam to line up. And my thought was, well, and you can see it in the pictures, by the way, on the site, the way that it doesn't quite line up. My thought was, well, just put a black stripe over the seam in the middle and you could have, you know, like like essentially it's it's a, you know, most football helmets do have a stripe down the top anyway. You could just have, you know, the plaid on both sides and then you put the stripe on the top. Uh, I guess I wasn't in on the design meeting, so I couldn't pitch that. But that's why um, the promised plaid helmets that have been you know, existing only in CFL folklore for the last seven years that people have been wondering about asking about. Um, that is the backstory. We got it on the record from Mark Gowdy. And uh, I was really pleased that we were able to share that story with our readers and, and show those exclusive pictures. Cause man, I I'm still salty. I want to see those helmets. Yeah. It, it becomes starkly obvious why they weren't worn on the game. The second you take a look <laughs> at the pictures, because those prototypes are, uh, shall we say, embarrassing for the manufacturer. Uh, I don't quite understand all the logistics of it, but it seems shocking to me they couldn't make it work. Yeah, it's too bad. And CFL fans are are the real uh, are the real losers in this situation because we missed out on the plaid helmets. But that's okay. We'll be back after a quick break when it's really time for Hodges Heritage. On this day in 2008, Tyrone Jones passed away at the age of 46 due to brain cancer. The native of St. Mary's, Georgia, played 10 CFL seasons with Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, and BC, winning two great cups with the Blue Bombers in 1984 and 1990. The four-time CFL All-Star recorded 110 career sacks and 15 interceptions and remains Winnipeg's all-time sack leader with 98. He was posthumously inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame in 2012. I'm a little bit too young to really remember Tyrone Jones uh, as a player, but JC, I've gone back and watched some of those old games, especially the playoff games, the great cups that he was in. Tyrone Jones was a monster. Absolute beast. One of the best to ever do it up here. Um, Gone too soon. It's now time for the three-minute drill powered by Jiffy Lube. JC, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders have signed 2021 second overall pick Nelson Lacombo. Will he help them win some games this season? Absolutely. I think he's a guy who can step in and, and potentially start at some point this season if they need him to, and he's going to make some big plays for them. He's a ball hawk. He'll, he'll get some interceptions. He'll force some fumbles. I love what he can do, Hodge. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers re-signed another Canadian, defensive lineman Jonathan Kongbo. Is that a big deal, Hodge? It absolutely is. I mean, this is a guy, he was a first-round pick in 2019, was rehabbing an ACL tear for the first half of the season, but started to make an impact later in the year, got cut to try the NFL. Well, guess what? The NFL's out of the system. He's back. He's a little bigger, and I think they could really use him, uh, whether it's at defensive end or even in the middle, helping Jake Thomas out at DT. Canadian offensive lineman David Brown started just one game in the Spring League at left tackle before signing with the Montreal Alouettes. I guess that means he played well. 
I guess he did. I, I'll be honest, I didn't watch, but David Brown was an absolute stud for the Western Mustangs. Had some injury issues that, that bounced him out of the CFL, but I'm glad to see him back because this is an all-Canadian-type offensive lineman uh, that can really make an impact in the CFL if he's back healthy. As per the Regina Leaguer Post's Murray McCormick, the Riders did not use their $7.6 million contingency fund in 2020, but will need it in order to get back on the field this year. Your thoughts, Hodge? I know that the Riders and the Bombers and the Elks have more money than the rest of the CFL teams in general, but I still think it's eye-opening that a lot of these clubs out west didn't even have to tap into the rainy day funds during what is and probably will be the rainiest day in CFL history. I know there are some teams bleeding money, but until I see the proof of the pudding and the numbers, I'm a little skeptical to accept that the CFL isn't as bad of and dire of financial straits as some people are trying to paint it as. Longtime NFL coach Jim Fossil passed away this week at the age of 71. Did you know he used to play quarterback for the Toronto Argonauts? I completely forgotten it, Hodge, but it's a long tradition of, of successful NFL head coaches that had uh, cups of coffee in the CFL. The guy who comes to mind for me, Sean Payton of the New Orleans Saints, Saints, one of the best coaches in the NFL. He was briefly an Ottawa Rough Rider. The federal government approved the NHL's plan to have players cross the border for the next round of the playoffs without quarantining. Is that a good sign for the CFL, Hodge? I think it is. I mean, anytime you're getting some cross-border movement, even if it's just millionaire hockey players arriving in private planes and then flying home, I still think that's a positive sign. Former CFL defensive back Keon Raymond has been hired as the director of football operations for the Prince George Kodiaks. Think he'll do a good job? Yeah, I think it's going to be really cool. I, I'm really excited to see what he can do for football in, in northern BC. He's the type of infectious personality, a, a great football mind who can really help. And it's cool to see a, a community football organization like the Kodiaks make the step to hire someone as a director of football operations, bring someone in from somewhere else um, to take control of the organization, to take the next step uh, and grow football in their area. Uh, I think it's going to be fantastic for it. Last thing before we sign off for another Thursday, we are asking our readers and listeners to rank the CFL's nine team logos. We launched our little uh, uh, vote last week. We've got thousands of votes in. Please continue to get them in. The results will be unveiled next week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Three Down Nation podcast. We'll be back in your feed next Thursday on whatever podcast app you prefer. We'll see you next time. Have a great rest of your day. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, 
or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 